Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. gentlemen, thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Highliner Foods Incorporated conference call for results of the second quarter of 2021. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. Following management's prepared remarks, we'll conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has any difficulties here in the conference, please press the star key followed by zero for operator assistance at any time. This conference call is being recorded today, Tuesday, August 17, 2021 at 2 p.m. Eastern time for replay purposes. I would now like to turn the conference over to Charlene Milner, Milner uh, Vice President of Finance for Highliner Foods. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining the Highliner Foods conference call today to discuss our financial results for the second quarter of 2021. On the call from Highliner Foods are Rod Heppenstahl, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Paul Dewar, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. In a moment, I'll pass the call over to Rod for, for some remarks on our performance in the second quarter before handing over to Paul, who will review the financial performance. Rod will then make some final remarks for, before opening the call up for questions. I would like to remind listeners that we use certain non-IFRS measures and ratios when discussing our financial results, as we believe these are useful in assessing the company's financial performance. These measures are fully described and reconciled to IFRS measures in our MDNA. Listeners are also reminded that certain statements made on today's call may be forward-looking statements that are subject to risks and uncertainties. Management may use forward-looking statements when discussing the company's strategy and business in the future. Actual operating or financial results could differ materially from those anticipated in these forward-looking statements. Highliner Foods includes a thorough discussion of the risk factors that can cause its anticipated outcomes to differ from actual outcomes in its publicly available disclosure documents, particularly in its annual report and annual information form. Please note that Highliner Foods is under no obligation to update any forward-looking statements discussed today. Earlier today, Highliner Foods reported its financial results for the second quarter ended July 3rd, 2021. That news release, along with the company's MD&A and unaudited condensed interim consolidated financial statements for the second quarter of 2021, have been filed on CDAR and can also be found in the Investor Center section of the Highliner Foods website. If you'd like to receive our news releases in the future, please visit the company's website to register. Lastly, please note that the company reports its financial results in U.S. dollars and therefore the results to be discussed today are also stated in U.S. dollars unless otherwise noted. Highliner Foods common shares trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange and are quoted in Canadian dollars. I will now turn the call over to Rod for his opening remarks. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for joining us today to discuss our results for the second quarter of 2021. I would like to start today's call by welcoming Anthony Rossetta to our team. As we announced a month ago, Anthony has joined Highlander Foods as our Chief Commercial Officer, bringing his extensive experience in developing, marketing, and selling multinational food and snacking brands. 
He will work to integrate our sales and marketing functions to advance our branded value-added growth strategy. We're thrilled to have thrilled that Anthony has joined Highlander Foods, and we look forward to his contributions as we advance our strategy to develop, uh, prof- deliver profitable profitability and growth. I would also like to recognize the resiliency of our people and our business. Throughout the pandemic, our team has come together to focus on safely meeting the needs of our customers and consumers across North America, despite their own personal challenges. As a business, we have remained extremely agile, quickly pivoting to mitigate the impact of the challenges presented by COVID-19 and the related market conditions so that we can continue to improve our financial performance, advance our growth strategy, and create value for our shareholders. This was the case during the second quarter of 2021, when despite the continued uncertainty related to the pandemic, and volatility of the global supply chain, we delivered gross profit percentage gains on increased sales. As with the first quarter of 2021, our performance metrics in Q2 are clouded by year-over-year comparisons. Once again, market conditions in the second quarter of 2021 were significantly significantly different than the second quarter of 2020, when we saw the surge in demand in our retail business as at-home food consumption increased and the significant decline in food service demand as COVID-19 restrictions affected eating away from home. During the same period this year, consumer habits shifted in the opposite direction as consumers changed their preference from having restaurant quality seafood at home and started to dine out once again, strengthening our food service business. We can all relate to the desire to start start eating out again and are thrilled that our frozen seafood value added offerings are on menus and doing well. The food service recovery is in full swing. Even though many of our key markets still had in-person dining restrictions and our non-commercial customers were not yet fully operational during the second quarter. There have been many occasions throughout the pandemic that I have felt grateful for the diversification of our business and the ability to serve consumers regardless of where they wish to consume seafood. Financially, when you look past the year-over-year comparisons and compare our performance to 2019, we achieved a two-year compounded annual growth rate of 1.7% on gross profit and 4.6% on adjusted EBITDA. We also improved our gross profit as a percentage of net sales by 420 basis points from 19.2% in Q2 2019 to 23.4% in Q2 2021. Aligned with our strategy, branded products represent 62% of our portfolio compared to the start of the pandemic when that number stood at 55%. Looking at this trajectory, along with the strength of our team, our product offering and improving performance in the second quarter, we remain confident in both the resilience of our business and our potential to continue to drive adjusted EBITDA growth over the course of the year. With that, I will hand the call over to Paul to walk us through our financial performance for the second quarter. Paul, over to you. Thank you, Rod, and good afternoon, everyone. Please note that all comparisons provided during my financial review of the second quarter of 2021 are relative to the second quarter of 2020, unless otherwise noted. Sales volume increased in the second quarter by 1.1 million pounds to 50.4 million pounds. In our food service business, sales volume was higher due to the impact of significantly reduced COVID-19 restrictions on the company's food service customers as compared to the second quarter of 2020. This increase was partially offset by our retail business, where sales volume was lower compared to the same period last year due to the significant surge in demand at the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic a year ago. 
Sales volume in the second quarter was also negatively impacted by the global supply challenges that have resulted in shipping container availability issues and reduced raw material supply. Sales volume was favorably impacted by new business and new product sales. Sales increased in the second quarter by $24 million to $189.8 million. Due to the higher sales volumes, pricing actions related to inflationary increases on input costs, lower promotional activity, and changes in sales mix. In addition, the stronger Canadian dollar in the second quarter of 2021 compared to the same quarter in 2020 increased the value of reported U.S. dollar sales from our Canadian dollar-denominated operations by approximately $6 million relative to the conversion impact last year. Gross profit increased in the second quarter by $7.7 million to $44.4 million, and gross profit as a percentage of sales increased by 120 basis points to 23.4% as compared to 22.2% in the second quarter of 2020. The increase in gross profit reflects the higher sales volume discussed above in combination with favorable changes in product mix reflected in the improved gross profit as a percentage of sales. In addition, the stronger Canadian dollar increased the value of reported U.S. dollar gross profit from our Canadian operations in 2021 by approximately $1.5 million relative to the conversion impact last year. Adjusted EBITDA increased in the second quarter by $2.5 million to $19.6 million, and adjusted EBITDA as a percentage of sales remained consistent with the prior year at 10.3%. The increase in adjusted EBITDA is a result of the increased gross profit, partially offset by an increase in distribution expenses and net SG&A expenses. In addition, the stronger Canadian dollar increased the value of reported adjusted EBITDA in U.S. dollars from our Canadian operations in 2021 by approximately $1.2 million relative to the conversion impact last year. Reported net income increased in the second quarter by $4.6 million to $8 million, and diluted earnings per share increased by $0.13 to $0.23. The increase in net income reflects a decrease in finance costs and a decrease in income tax expense. The higher net income was also due to the increase in adjusted EBITDA, partially offset by an increase in share-based compensation expense. Excluding the impact of certain non-routine or non-cash expenses that are explained in our MD&A, adjusted net income in the second quarter of 2021 increased by $5.7 million, or 121.3%, to $10.4 million and correspondingly adjusted diluted earnings per share increased by 16 cents to 30 cents. Turning now to cash flows from operations in the balance sheet, net cash flows provided by operating activities in the second quarter of 2021 decreased by $26.4 million to an inflow of $5.9 million compared to an inflow of $32.3 million in the same period in 2020 due to less favorable changes in net non-cash working capital and higher income taxes paid, partially offset by higher cash flows from operations and lower interest paid. Our cash flow position is allowing us to increase inventory to help mitigate the supply chain challenges we are facing. Net debt at the end of the second quarter of 2021 increased by $3.4 million to $248.2 million compared to $244.8 million 
at the end of the first quarter of 2021. Primarily reflecting a lower cash balance on July 3, 2021, partially offset by lower balances of long-term debt and lease liabilities. Net debt to adjusted EBITDA was 2.8 times at July 3, 2021, compared to 2.9 times at the end of the first quarter of 2021, and three times at the end of fiscal 2020. In the absence of any major acquisitions or unplanned capital expenditures in 2020, we expect this ratio to remain relatively consistent with where it is today. As a result of our strong balance sheet and cash flow, we remain confident in our liquidity position. We do not have any impending debt maturities, and we will continue to utilize our $150 million working capital credit facility if required. The company currently has no borrowings on this facility. I will now turn the call back over to Rod for some final remarks before opening up the call to questions. Rod? Thanks, Paul. Now for a brief update on how we are advancing our branded value-added growth strategy. As I've spoken about before, we are going to market much more aggressively than in prior years. We are putting marketing dollars behind this and are already seeing positive results in terms of both customer and consumer engagement. Take, for example, our pan-seared two-pack campaign on digital and social media. We successfully educated consumers on the benefit of the product the fact, that it, the fact is, it's restaurant quality, ready in 20 minutes, and perfect for two people. Paired this with a promotion and saw a 30 to 40% increase in velocity and sales up on average of 30% during the month of the campaign. We also secured a major new Canadian retailer to stock this product in Q3. We're also seeing encouraging results with our C Cuisine marketing campaign that I spoke about during our, call, our last call. This quarter, we kept up the momentum with sales driven in part by value-added content across social media platforms. We look forward to enhanced packaging capabilities coming online to support the increasing popularity of this product. These are just a couple examples of how we are going to market differently and the opportunity that is out there for us. This is the tip of the iceberg, and I'm excited to build on our early results as we integrate our sales and marketing efforts under the leadership of Anthony as our new CCO. In food service, we are able to capitalize on the heightened profile of our products with our U.S. sales team back in the field for the first time in 18 months. We are continuing to supplement with virtual selling as needed, but are taking all opportunities to deepen customer and supplier relationships and establish new ones. The food service rebound continues to be driven by quick service restaurants and casual dining, many south of the border. We are optimistic that we will see non-commercial customers, schools, hospitals, and other institutional customers open up this fall and are ready to capitalize on this opportunity. Our product portfolio also gives us capability to support fluctuating consumer behavior across all point, price points. In line with our strategy, we are selling more branded value-added products than commodity products, a trend that is contributing to our overall profitability. We are optimistic that this will continue as our branded value-added advantage continues to be well-received by both food service operators under pressure, and consumers who are looking for easy to prepare delicious seafood to enjoy at home. We also had success in the second quarter selling our new innovations. We are excited for the upcoming test of our Alaskan Wild Wings at a leading U.S. casual dining chain and feel very good about how this product has been received across the market. We're also winning new business in the retail space and gain new listings and shelf space at major retailers during the quarter. We have Aggressively advanced our branded value added 
value-added strategy, we have had to mitigate against global supply chain challenges. Like others in the industry, these challenges primarily relate to container availability and increased cost of container shipping. This unfortunately impact is impacting our fill rates and our ability to satisfy customer demand. Like others in the CPG industry, it is also curtailing our ability to promote our products in our usual fashion, which we expect is impacting our retail volumes. In response to these challenges, we are taking pricing action in both retail and food service and continue to build our inventory. But we can expect there will be a lag before we can realize the benefits in both areas. We also further diversified our supply base to help mitigate against challenges and are leaning on the advantages of our scale, our diversification of species within our portfolio, and our integrated supply chain to help navigate through these issues. For example, we can quickly reallocate product with our system to areas of higher demand, such as during the pandemic when we allocated product to support our surging retail business, and now when we are reallocating product to our food service business as demand for eating away from home increases. Bottom line, we are being proactive in managing the factors within our control. The pandemic is far from over and related global macroeconomic conditions remain very challenging. We remain prepared for this to continue to impact performance and offset demand for our products and stand ready to support all of our stakeholders through the months ahead. We remain acutely aware of the importance of ensuring a steady supply of seafood to families across North America as a healthy and affordable source of protein and are working closely with our stakeholders to support them through the ongoing challenges. As our new purpose statement says, we are reimagining seafood to nourish life. This is evident in all we do, from community initiatives such as our goal to provide 10 million meals by 2025, to our unwavering commitment to support the health, safety, and wellness of our people. Despite all of these challenges and uncertainty of the current environment, I remain confident and believe Highlander Foods is operating from a position of strength and with the right strategy and team behind it. In light of this and our continued momentum executing against our strategy, we expect to continue to deliver adjusted EBITDA growth in 2021. With that, I will hand the call over to the operator for a brief question and answer period. Operator, please go ahead. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your questions will be polled in the order they're received. Should you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star followed by two. If you're using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. Your first question comes from uh, George DeMay from Scotiabank. George, please go ahead. Yeah, thanks. Hi, guys, and uh, thanks for taking my questions. Uh, maybe this one for Paul. Uh, can you best estimate uh, the loss volumes from the container shortages and the raw material supply in the quarter? Maybe give us a sense of magnitude there. Yeah, so in the quarter, George, we'd estimate it would be three to four million pounds of total impact, uh, and that is from uh, pure shortages, but also the impact we would see in terms of having to have some product on allocation. Uh, and also, uh, we ha we've reduced promotions in some of our uh, retail business to reflect the fact we don't want to promote when we have uh, supply challenges. So the combination of the three of those areas would uh, would have had that kind of uh, impact approximately in the quarter. Okay, thanks for that. And, and how do our service volumes in general um, compare to, I don't know, 2019, either Q2, 19, or, or 19, generally speaking, anything, I guess, pre-pandemic? 
uh, service levels overall? Yeah. So no, I, again, yeah, volumes. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, volumes overall. Sorry. Yeah. So I mean, we saw quite an increase in food service in 2021 compared to 2020, but it's still not back to 2019 levels. Uh, and the primary reason for that is some of our sectors in food service, school, business, uh, institutional feeding, as an example, are not back to the, the pre-pandemic levels. Uh, in retail, uh, we saw a decline this quarter compared to the prior year. Uh, we, are, we are not above 2019 levels, but that's more about uh, some lost business in 2019 than it is related to um, the pandemic. That's, that's great, thanks. Just one last one, if I may. Um, just outside of the supply chain, it looks like we're seeing substantial inflation in commodity costs in Q2. I think it's even, it's even got more pronounced in, into Q3 to date. Um, so it's a two-part question. Like, I'm just wondering when do you expect to have those higher input costs uh, hit our P&L? And, and it looks like we're pushing price um, quite a bit now. So I, I'm just wondering, is that for, is that for freight or is, or is that more for the, for the higher commodities we're seeing? Yeah, so the commodity uh, cost increase is certainly much less for us than the freight cost in, uh, impact. Uh, and the primary reason for that is our primary commodity, as you know, is, is seafood raw material. And that we haven't seen uh, much in the way of price inflation other than in a, one particular species. So um, we've been fortunate in that regard. We have seen some of the ingredient costs go up, to your point. Uh, we have had to pass price to uh, reflect that. Uh, it's a market issue. Uh, and the biggest piece for us is the international freight. Uh, we have had already passed price in that regard, and there's more uh, price increases uh, to come, unfortunately, to reflect uh, that uh, higher cost environment. But that's recognized as a necessary uh, price increase, um, as uh, it, it, again, is impacting all industries, all, uh, all customers, all supply chains. Okay. Thanks for your answers, guys. Good luck. Thanks, Mark. Your next question comes from Kyle McPhee from Cormark Securities. Kyle, please go ahead. Hi, guys. Just uh, starting with a follow-up on, on the food service stuff. So you mentioned you're still below 19 levels because of some institutional and school stuff. But what about specifically the restaurant channel? Has that fully normalized, or, or how much below 19 are you for, for the, the restaurant channel specifically? Yeah, no, we'd still be below in the restaurant channel a bit as well, primarily in uh, our commodity business, our value-added businesses perform there. And part of the reason for that is full-service restaurants, which are you know more important to us than other uh, restaurant chains, still aren't back to full uh, levels of operations. Uh, we, we unfortunately know many of our restaurant customers are facing significant staff shortages. Uh, so we're still seeing some impact there, but a significant recovery from where we were in 2020. And, and can, can you quantify that at all, maybe as a percentage of 19, where you're at now? Uh, for that sec, for the restaurant spec sector specifically, I don't have that number uh, in front of me. Uh, it would be, uh, it, it would not be as significant as, you know, the K to 12 educational or, or uh, industrial uh, or institutional business that I mentioned okay. earlier. Can you maybe speak to just where your total food service business has been as a you know percentage of 19 adjusted for all the, the contracts and things that are done? Yeah. So, I mean, we would still be uh, 15 to 20 percent below uh, 2019 levels. Um, and uh, but that, again, is, you know, that's a we're, we're 29 percent above 2020 levels. 
Yeah, Kyle, yeah. if I may add, one of the things that, um, you know, certainly is contributing to uh, the performance versus 2019 is, uh, to Paul's point earlier, we have a very dynamic uh, market happening between whether it be provincial or different states, uh, uh, restrictions on uh, in-person dining, uh, certainly restrictions on, um, on uh, capacity within restaurants and labor. So we could literally go province by province or certainly state by state and, and provide you some uh, level of impact. Um, again, very, very dynamic, and I think we're going to be uh, a, a bit before we see wide-open dining across North America, particularly in the key sectors that we're in. And again, we, we index very heavily in uh, what we'll call uh, the healthcare and the school industries, and many hospitals and other long-term care are not back to normal uh, visitation uh, and or electric surgeries, where we see uh, certainly in, in uh, hospital feeding uh, on a significant basis, and certainly we're look very optimistic about return to school this fall. Got it. And on that return to school, for the schools that you're specifically serving, do you expect them to all open? Well, I, I, optimistically, I'd love to say yes. I think that is a case-by-case -case basis uh, across uh, municipalities in uh, you know, North America, but we're certainly very optimistic. I can say uh, as we monitor the largest school districts across North America, um, we certainly anticipate many of the kids being back with particular restrictions, but uh, we're certainly very optimistic about that portion of our business. Got it. Okay, thanks for that, color. And then just following up on, on the supply side issues, you said you lost three to four million pounds of, of sales opportunities. That, was it weighted to a specific type of product or, or channel? I'm just trying to get a feel for, you know, what it translates into in dollars or, or even what the margin mix uh, impact would have been. Yeah, I would say it's slightly more skewed, Kyle, to our commodity product than our value-added product. Um, but um, it, I, I think using our representative um, margins as an organization and overall as, and applying those percentages to that lost volume is, would probably be a reasonable estimate of the bottom line impact um, on that volume impact. Got it. Okay. Um, and then on pricing, you say that you, you've increased pricing as expected. Can, can you help us understand how large the pricing gain was? Um, and maybe even more important, you know, based on what your cost inflation was, did, did it kind of net out to a, a neutral impact or, or is there some drag or, or maybe even a benefit? Yeah, so I don't want to give any particular percentages because it obviously varies by segment and, and uh, product uh, in terms of the percentage increase. Uh, but overall, um, we believe that we have sufficiently uh, been able to cover the cost increases. There's always some lag, as you can imagine, in that. Uh, but uh, with time for the price increases to take hold, knowing what we know today about cost increases, uh, then we feel good about what we've been able to do uh, to manage the profitability of our business. Obviously, we'll continue to monitor what may continue to happen on supply chain cost increases as we look forward. Got it. And, and last quick one, um, you know, other than supply chain cost inflation, is your actual, do you foresee any material issues with respect to access to, to supply, or, or or is this you know lost sales opportunity going to be snowballing in the coming quarters? It, it's more of a timing issue uh, than uh, you know species not being available, uh, but with the challenges with uh, containers, uh, with the challenges with uh, some of the primary processing in other countries around the world, it, it's extended the length of our supply chain, which was already long. Um, so we're confident we'll have the uh, ability to uh, recover. We've we've seen a, a significant recovery already 
uh, over the course of the last month and a half compared to where we were when uh, we were in uh, Q2. Uh, and we're going to continue to work on that. As Rod mentioned earlier, the team has done a wonderful job of leveraging the diversity of our supply chain uh, to come up with contingency plans and find uh, find options for us. Got it. Okay. Uh, that's it for me. Thanks. Thanks, Jordan. Your next question comes from Jonathan Lamers from Nemo Capital Markets. Jonathan, please go ahead. Good afternoon. Hey, On the supply chain and uh, container shortage challenges, uh, you know, ocean freight rates have only increased since June, as you pointed out, Paul. So are you seeing the impact of the shortage challenges worsening uh, into Q3 or improving? And how has your inventory build build out addressed this in terms of your ability to satisfy demand for the second half? Yeah, Jonathan, maybe I can uh, take a shot at that here. I, I would say um, we are monitoring the global positioning of containers, uh, certainly ships available, uh, and our access to, to that. So I think uh, from the data we have today, I think we uh, would appear we're probably at the peak of the uh, the impact. I don't consider, I don't view any uh, additional impact beyond this. Now, this may be sustained for a bit of time, um, but that said, we are very focused on building the right inventory levels, um, getting as much product uh, as we would term it on the water as possible, and we've been fairly successful with that over the last several weeks. So um, we believe certainly that um, we're, we're managing a quarterly through the situation. Uh, that said, this is a very, very dynamic and global issue. That, um, that we all have to manage through from a, whether you're in the CPG business or, or certainly any other business out there. Thanks. And uh, we talked at length about food service volumes versus 2019. Uh, could you update us on where retail volumes were versus 2019, either for uh, Q2 or the first half? Yes, I think I think I mentioned uh, for Q2 we're slightly below uh, volumes for 2019, less uh, about pandemic impact there, more about uh, some lost customer business uh, in uh, 2019. Versus 2020, uh, retail is down uh, more significantly uh, because, as you uh, can imagine, we had you know quite a bit of freezer loading uh, in the early part of Q2 in uh, 2020. Uh, which didn't repeat in 2021. Um, having said that, we still believe the increased traffic that we saw in the category in 2020 uh, is an opportunity that we're going to continue to work on exploiting uh, as we uh, as we go forward. Yeah, Jonathan, maybe I can even add, what, what we've seen um, is a pretty uh, rapid uh, um, path back to what I would say is historical consumer uh, spend dollars, uh, you know, back to almost a 50-50 consumers have shifted back to uh, food service uh, and what we've been able to do certainly with the strength of our food service business is capture those incremental dollars uh, in our food service business although still a, a bit below 2019 again that's because of some segments not opening but we believe certainly as consumers become much more fluid in uh, where they choose to have restaurant quality seafood we're really well positioned with both the retail and food service businesses we have Thanks. And Paul, on past calls, you've been able to share with us the value add mix of sales uh, for the quarter. Would you happen to have that uh, nearby for Q2 versus last year? 
Uh, yep. So for Q2 this year, it's 62% uh, value added. That's down slightly from 66% uh, a year ago, uh, but is consistent with where it was in 2019. So what that reflects is we've seen, thankfully, some of our uh, unprocessed commodity business uh, come back as we've seen some recovery, particularly in food service. So the encouraging uh, point on that, Paul, is you've really been able to hold your gross margin percentage through this shift back toward uh, non-value-add products. Is that uh, that's a, a dynamic yes. that you kind of see going continuing? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. That is a dynamic that we've been very pleased with. Uh, I think the team's gonna, done a good job of managing gross margin, even as we've seen some of that lower margin business come back. We're pleased with the mix uh, as it sits. Uh, and Rod mentioned this uh, in his uh, prepared remarks. We've also maintained a branded percentage uh, that's higher than uh, 2019 as well, uh, which of course uh, helps with the sustainability of our business, but also the profitability of our business. And a last question, if I may, could you remind us what non-restaurant or institutional food service customers represented as a share of sales pre-pandemic? Uh, yeah, so just to give you uh, a high-level breakdown, uh, healthcare is the biggest uh, institutional segment. It's almost a quarter of our volume. Uh, Full-service restaurants are very similar in size to healthcare, um, followed by uh, QSR and uh, educational, which uh, would be both in the sort of mid-teens uh, as a percentage. And then there's sort of a, a long list of smaller percentages that make up the balance. Thanks for your comments. Thanks, Jonathan. Question comes from Sabahat Khan from RBC Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Great. Thanks, and uh, good afternoon. Um, I guess just following up on the retail discussion there, I guess with the uptick that happened last year during the pandemic, were you able to identify, you know, specific segments of the market that came to this category that weren't there before? And, you know, has there been an opportunity to keep some of them? And, at a higher level, are you able to sort of comment on, you know, the ability to maintain some of those consumers within the category? You know, has there been some success with that? Are you seeing some of those folks stick around? Yeah, I would say the, the there's a number of things that happened in the category in Q2 specifically last year. Number one, we saw um, the category, as we know, explode. And that would be all the way through from the value product up to premium product offering. So our, our product portfolio uh, stretches the range, um, unlike many others in the industry. So we were able to capture the value, again, all the way up to the premium. But where we have seen some extreme benefit to us uh, would be in our product like Sequizine, as an example. Sequizine is up uh, year over year 6%, a year over two years, uh, it's up roughly 35%. And so the premium offering of our product saw many new consumers come in. Because if we, as you recall, we've talked previously, Seafood was the number two item reference consumers missed eating out. So they turned to the retail channel to get the restaurant quality type meals. Now we did see significant consumers come into the category in again, 20, uh, 2020. Some of those consumers have left, again, as we've seen the normalization of uh, food or dollars spent at home versus away from home. But we feel very confident in the digital and direct to the consumer uh, campaigns that we've had uh, that have supported the continued growth, as an example, within Sequizine. So we're much more targeted, um, and as we've talked about, we are much more aggressive in our approach, uh, significantly more marketing dollars than we've historically spent in order to certainly communicate the benefits of Highliner branded product in the marketplace, 
but also um, keep those consumers uh, in the channel. Okay, thanks for that color. And then I guess with that growth in seafood or the consumer demand at least, um, has retailer support generally been there, whether it's with regards to, I guess, freezer space or just focusing on the category? Yeah, we've seen a great uh, partnership from our, our customers without question. Um, you know, we, we deal with the leading retailers across North America. They certainly want to deal with leading brands um, and, and certainly companies of scale like us that can manage through the, the dynamic market. Um, so we would anticipate continued support from them. And as we look at their emphasis as dollars have shifted away from retail back into food service, um, they're taking the necessary steps as well to keep the traffic coming into their individual locations. So uh, we view this as a great partnership with our major customers and an opportunity again to continue to expand seafood at home. And, and we think we're now in a position, Sava, where we've got more opportunity as we look ahead on the innovation front, uh, because the reality is during the pandemic, many of our retail customers had to focus on executing the business that they were already in, uh, rather than uh, looking at opportunities to expand or grow the category. Uh, we, we believe that we'll uh, be able to work with them on category expansion and growth uh, more now as we look forward. Well, that makes sense. And then I think Paul, you're, or I think um, there's a question earlier on just being able to secure uh, just inventory, kind of some of the shipping constraints. But I guess maybe a broader question: with some uncertainty on pricing and freight, I guess how far ahead were you guys able to maybe secure supply or maybe? Is there an opportunity to maybe lock in prices before inflation goes high? I just want to understand how willing suppliers are to lock into the contracts to provide product, you know, a few quarters out. Well, I think the bigger issue there is we'll, we'll buy the inventory earlier if we can't. Uh, and we've done some of that because we've recognized it takes longer for the raw material to make its way through the supply chain today than it did before. Uh, and that's why you've seen uh, our working capital performance versus a year ago. We've utilized some cash there uh, and expect we will continue to do that uh, as we move through the back half of the year. We're in a fortunate position to be able to do that. Uh, and so if we see opportunities to uh, get uh, volume, priority number one, at the right price, uh, then uh, we'll do that to make sure uh, we're in the best position we possibly can be going into Lent uh, and uh, and the, the balance of 2022. Okay, and then this last one for me, with the, the balance sheet kind of below your target range of three times on the leverage side, any thoughts as we head into 22, if the background does normalize, any thoughts on capital allocation and how you're thinking about you know, deploying that uh, the improved balance sheet position? Sure, yeah. Uh, I, as we've identified in our prepared remarks, you know, we've spent more in capital uh, than we have historically. Uh, we see an opportunity to continue to do that in the near term. Um, we uh, will continue to show support uh, for the dividend. Uh, we've done a, a small amount of share buybacks over the course of the last month and a half, but uh, uh, pretty insignificant there. Um, and, uh, you know, at some point, we hope that we'll have the opportunity to deploy the balance sheet further to support any accelerated growth opportunities. Uh, but in the, in the meantime, we'll continue to improve our financial performance. Uh, we'll continue to invest in our business. And uh, you'll see leverage to continue uh, to improve until we uh, see more of those accelerated growth opportunities. If I could just squeeze in one more, I guess, on just last comment there. Um, have there has there been an opportunity, I guess, to capture market share? Have have the smaller players on the, I guess, particularly on the retail side, where maybe you can track share and things like that? How has the industry dynamic been there? Um, I guess 
you know, in the context of the larger scale on the retail side? Yeah, nothing I identify significantly in terms of a change in the, the landscape um, in uh, in retail uh, or food service. The one thing I would say is, you know, we have seen, unfortunately, some in the industry have struggled even more than we have uh, from a supply perspective. Um, and, you know, we've tried to be there whenever we can to support our customers uh, in uh, in those cases. Uh, I, I think it'll still, it'll still take a little bit of time as we continue to see the full recovery from the pandemic to see how things may settle out in the industry overall. Okay. Thanks very much. We have a follow-up question from Kyle McPhee from Cormac Securities. Kyle, please go ahead. Again, just a, a follow-up on, on the CapEx. looks like you, you upped it a bit. I'm just wondering what the added capex is for and then maybe can, can you comment on how much of that 22 million guidance for this year is you know true growth capex as, as opposed to maintenance yeah the majority of it is maintenance capex your point kyle um i would say you know less than five million dollars would be growth you know, pure growth capex um it, it's up a bit uh and that reflects you know the opportunity to execute on projects where we uh where we can uh the willingness to invest in the business uh and we have seen you know not un unlike most areas some cost increases that we've had to deal with even on the even on the capital side of the business got it okay and, and last one uh I, I appreciate all the comments on all your new product and innovation uh and how it seems to be increasing momentum but much like in past quarters can you kind of encompass that in, in an overall growth contribution, just isolated at these new products and innovation? Yeah, so there'd be, a, you know, approximately 3 million pounds of new product or new customer um, business in the quarter. Uh, and um, we're pleased that that would contribute in, in the neighborhood of a couple million dollars of, uh, of contribution. Got it. Okay. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you, uh, I think you had a similar that's building on a similar contribution from a year ago. So the kind of two-year stack would be about double that. Am I thinking about it right? Uh, yeah, it's, it's a similar trend um, this quarter versus uh, previous quarters. We haven't really seen it accelerate at this stage. We would hope that that, as I mentioned earlier in a comment, hope that we have some opportunity for that to be the case as we continue to recover from the pandemic. Got it. Okay, thanks. That's it. There are no further questions at this time. I'll turn it back to Rob for closing remarks. Close, I want to thank you for joining our call today. We look forward to updating you on our results for the third quarter of 2021 on our next conference call in November. Please stay safe and well. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. 
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.